Hey, how are you? This is Lizzie dropping in at the top here to say that the following episode on identity is actually the first of three episodes on this topic. Hannah and I recorded them all at once as one long conversation, but we made the call that it was too long to share with you as one episode, so we've split it up. Please consider this your first identity instalment, and look out for identities two and three coming up on the 1st of February and 15th of February, respectively. I feel like the more people that I meet, the more I understand how different kinds of people might approach different kinds of, have different kinds of points of view in the first place. I suppose, I I guess I feel like the more people I meet, the less confident I am in my ability to draw broad conclusions about categories of people or say what people are like. <laughs> I think I'm just becoming more and more convinced that I need to be able to make space to encounter other people as they are with as few of my own presuppositions or assumptions or filters or judgments as possible. Hey Hannah. Hey Lizzie. How are you? I'm good thank you. How are you? Good yes very well thank you. Very comfortable here at Impact Brixton. I know it's great here isn't it? It's cute little studio. It is very cute and little which is cool because there's only two of us yeah <laughs> so it works out really well yeah a very comfortable lovely space it's a wonderful space so we're in this lovely podcasting studio that is part of impact brixton which is a social enterprise and co-working space works a lot within the community of brixton so if you are london-based or not or frankly not neither of us are london-based and <laughs> we're here all the time so <laughs> <laughs> check it out All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Hey, we're Eggshells, the podcast exploring disagreement and how to do it better. We ask how we can make difficult conversations easier to have by exploring solutions to the challenges we all face when having them. Hannah. Lizzie, today we have the great pleasure of talking about identity. Uh, mm-hmm. Exciting. It's quite exciting, actually. It's quite a complex topic, it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Ashley introducing the concept to us at the top. And I wanted to play that quote because uh, in that you'll have heard me starting off by admitting that I reckoned that the more people I met, the more I knew about what people were going to think. And to an extent, that's not really a fair representation of what I was saying. I was kind of trying to say that meeting people helps you learn about people, which I do think is a yeah. fair statement. But what Ashley is saying is that the more people that I meet, the more I create impressions of what people are like. So then the more I get used to categorizing people and then the more I might preemptively categorize them and lose the nuance of their individuality. Yeah. Yeah is a fair point yeah it is that's why we started the episode with that so thanks Ashley for that introduction to identity because today we are going to be talking about categorizing people basically we're going to be talking about the identities that we present and the ways in which other people categorize us essentially we're talking about identity politics Hannah yeah which how does that make you feel that <laughs> makes term? you feel quite scared does it <laughs> yeah that's fair. um 
only because I think if someone was to immediately say to me right now, tell me what identity politics is, I'd be like, okay, um, cool. Uh, yeah. I think I'd freak out a bit. I think you're not you're not alone in that at all. I have felt like that, and I'm sure that lots of people do. So luckily, that's what we're going to start this episode with. Fantastic. <laughs> the definition of identity politics. So we asked Nushi Rose for this definition of identity politics. Nushi is now a senior digital content manager at Save the Children. But when we spoke to her, she was managing editor of the opinions platform Parlia. So I heard Nushi on Radio 4. She was in a program that was largely about being a millennial, but she spoke for only about three sentences about identity politics. And I just thought she was so wise that I thought we've got to hear more from her. So luckily she came on the podcast. And what we're going to open this episode with is her definition, essentially, of identity politics. So are you ready? I am. I'm okay. excited. Me too. So we're going to take this slowly because we're going to go really through identity politics. And we're going to think about its problematic elements and its useful elements. Let's kick off with this definition. Identity politics is a way of understanding ourselves and understanding others that is based on often superficial factors. I say superficial, I don't necessarily mean this as negative. So, for example, it could be based on the fact that you're a woman or you're a millennial if it's generational or you're black or you're white or any of those things. Basically identifying markers which we use as people in a society to understand people, guess where they come from and categorise people in a way that we're naturally programmed to do. And so in terms of identity politics itself, it is the way that having these perspectives on people has almost been spun on its head. So rather than it being something passive we do without really acknowledging that it's happening or that we're thinking in this way, we have started to leverage it. And so rather than being atomized in our societies, we now have seen the growth of movements that sort of bandwagon together based on these identifying factors or one identifying factor, group themselves, create an agenda, often politicized, and sort of then identify as a group on this one, one single issue, rather than acknowledging the multiplicity of factors or elements that make up a personality or make up society, and sort of simplifying politics in that way. It's taking one element of a personality or idea and transforming that into a wider political movement and then using that movement to try and lobby for things or make change in a society. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. That was great. Oh, good. So now what would you say if someone asked your identity politics was? That was such an obvious question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I walked into that myself, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, I set myself up for it. You did. God. Um, well, I felt like that made it much simpler. So what I heard from that was mm. identity politics is a particular thing that you identify with. I identify as a woman. Sure. So... That puts me in that category. Yeah. And I can find other people who identify as women and right. we can form a group and we can politicize 
things that we believe in. Yeah, exactly. You can lobby for change based on the fact that you all identify as women. And I want to pick up on what she said about superficial, because yeah. she also quantified that she doesn't necessarily mean superficial as negative. So what did you understand by the word superficial? Or did you understand anything by it? I guess for me... Sorry, this feels like a test. It's um, not really what it's supposed to feel like. I'm um, so sorry. No, 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 don't apologise. It's a good question. Um, I just want to give a good answer. So for me, I guess, like, I agree that superficial doesn't have to be negative, but it's maybe more external. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like surface level. Yeah. So it's not deep. It's something you can see. So it's on the surface yeah. or whatever. And so superficial is a term has come to have negative connotations in our society because it implies that you're not very deep. But that's not at all the meaning that she is using for the word. She just means the no. thing that you can see, the thing that is literally on the surface level. And yeah. what you're presenting to me now is woman. <laughs> oh, woman. Oh, she's all the way. <laughs> I know I sound that wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, so yeah, exactly. You've, you've summarized it beautifully. So it's what do you present superficially grouping people by, by those superficial presentations mm -hmm. of identity and then having that group lobby for change based on their shared identity. Yeah. Sounds good, right? Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So here's where it starts to get exciting. I did some research. I literally just typed identity politics into Google and I was almost instantly directed to the Combahee River Collective. So they were a movement of black feminists who, in 1977, released a statement. And within that statement, they coined the phrase identity politics. Wow. So that was the Combahee River Collective. So we will link the full statement in the show notes. And I hugely recommend that you guys read it because hearing, we're going to pull some quotes from it, but hearing them in context is everything. Mm -hmm. So please sit down and read it. It's a very good read and they articulate themselves very clearly. They say, we realize that the only people who care enough about us to work consistently for our liberation are us. Our politics evolve from a healthy love for ourselves, our sisters and our community, which allows us to continue our struggle and work. So I think that's another really helpful way of thinking about identity politics at this yeah. outset, okay? It's, it is about to get a lot more complicated and we are going to be coming back to the Combahee River Collective later in the episode. But for now, let's begin there with identity politics being about self-actualization, about the work that you're doing for your community and about love. Perfect. Okay, sweet. All right, so next we're going to get Nushi's opinion about why politics based on identity emerges in the first place. Like, why is this a thing? and how it can be useful for society as a whole and not just for individual lobbying groups. A lot of people see identity politics as an alternative to traditional political systems. And that's because the status quo, if you have left-right spectrum, whatever it might be, have failed a number of underrepresented groups, whether that means the poor, which again, the poor is obviously a much wider category than I'm making out, or black people or brown people or whatever it is. Because these 
existing channels don't really work to represent all voices in society, actually, these movements, these identity politics movements, have actually been much more successful in lobbying for positive change. So if we take Black Lives Matter as as the example, you know, it's no surprise. We all know that Black people are much more likely to be stopped and searched, be incarcerated, face abuse, be in poverty, be killed. And all these terrible things in society unevenly happen to Black people. So although there is obviously, you know, cross-cutting identities amongst Black people, Black people as a whole are much more prone to these sort of disadvantages. And so Black Lives Matter gives a platform to them and forces us to acknowledge or forces political systems to acknowledge actually disparities in all of these different areas. But it's definitely been a positive tool for change. It's, you know, it's ignited a whole global movement that actually makes us think about why we hold the views that we have and actually forces us to acknowledge that the way we interact in society isn't on even keel. You know, identity political groups, if that's them, are super useful for forcing us to acknowledge the way our society is structured and reflect on how that should change. Classic post quote glazed look. Yeah. We both open our eyes really wide at each other and like <laughs> we have just stare at each other waiting so for the other one to talk. Go on, go on. Or shall I talk? Or you talk. Who wants to talk? You go. Okay. So so right, she's alluding to the fact that identity politics doesn't take into account people's individual identities in a sufficient way, which we are gonna talk more about. But essentially, her argument there is that identity politics is a useful way for oppressed groups or groups that aren't taken into account by the current system. You know, she said a left-right politic, but whatever exists. It's a useful way for groups not taken into account by that system to be seen and heard and therefore ideally recognised within society. And uh, I I guess I'd immediately want to take that a bit further and say, like, why that's useful. Identity politics is something that comes up in disagreement, right? For sure. I think when I say disagreement, obviously not every disagreement, not if you're disagreeing about who's washing the dishes, (laughs) what time you're going to leave in the morning or whatever. I'm now talking about those hefty conversations that you might want to have with people in your life. Mm -hmm. And you're just, you know, terms like identity politics, as soon as they get thrown up, everyone gets heated and no one really understands what they're saying, potentially. Yeah. So that's that's the context in which I want to address identity politics. So, so touching on why identity politics is useful, not only for those groups that are lobbying and that are formed around an identity, but also for society as a whole. I mean, firstly, the premise of this podcast is that disagreement is democracy. We're in support of democracy. So if there is not equity in a democracy, that is inherently problematic, right? Yeah. So that should be enough of an argument, in my opinion. If you're talking to someone who needs a further nudge, then perhaps you might point out that it's not useful for there to be groups within a society who are unfairly disadvantaged because that has all sorts of negative impacts on society. It can affect society's literacy rates, it can affect employment rates, it can affect crime rates, and all these things don't just affect the group. They affect the group disproportionately, 
but they have ripple effects on the rest of society. Yeah. So it is vital that we work towards equity yeah. on a, in a very practical sense. Yeah. I think that we acknowledge that those groups exist and suffer greatly, but that their suffering affects everybody. Exactly. That's what we're saying identity politics is useful for. Yeah. It's drawing our attention to those inequities that we, we as upholders of the system, for example, just might not have even known were there. Yeah. So that's why identity politics is super useful. If a decision or a disagreement or anything affects anybody other than yourself, let's say, then you cannot just look at it through your own lens or the outcome will not function as you want it to. So if you look at a political decision from purely economical standpoint, then you aren't going to be appropriately taking into account sociocultural identities of the people that your decision is affecting. And therefore your decision won't function like you want it to because you haven't taken into account other people's differences, other people's identities. So I found, albeit a slightly outdated example, um, but there was this cool article back from 2018 uh, by Timothy J. Oliver. And I think it says quite clearly about identity politics, what I'm trying to say here. And it uses the example that if you're going to look at Brexit, if you're like, I want to make Brexit as effective as possible from a purely economical standpoint, an argument you might make, or you might have made back in 2018, that's why it's outdated, but whatever, would be to say that we as the UK should enter in like a Norway style agreement with the EU because then we'd stay in the European single market and there wouldn't be all these like tariffs and holdups. So that lens doesn't take into account the identity argument, for example, that people within Britain might see it as important to their identities to be more in control of things like immigration into the UK, mm-hmm. which we wouldn't have control of if we were still in the European single market. So All we're saying in that example is that if we were to look through Brexit from a purely economic lens, you wouldn't be achieving political wholeness. Yeah. You wouldn't, we wouldn't all be moving forward together. We'd be moving forward at the cost of things that are really important to specific groups of people. Yeah. And I think that's what I kind of wanted to say about identity politics generally is that If you are able to look at an issue through someone else's lens, it doesn't mean you agree with them. It just means that you're acknowledging the practical implications of your assertion. You're acknowledging that people live different realities to you. And that is essentially what identity politics is good for. It's just giving you a better understanding of the other people who already exist in your own community and denying that they exist doesn't stop them existing. Yeah, exactly. And... Just to sort of hone in on that point that you've made about the kind of basically acknowledging other people outside of yourself, mm. that is something that we keep coming back to yeah. on almost every aspect of disagreement that we, us two, have spoken about, mm. is the necessity, if you want to have constructive, forward-moving conversations, it is so necessary and so vital to hear the other person, make them feel heard, acknowledge their experience and 
create, hold space for them. That doesn't mean that you're agreeing or aligning with their views. Yeah. It's just letting them know, I hear your opinion. Please speak it. <laughs> I understand. I'm and I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And now here is mine. It's a sharing of views. Yeah, but it's also a learning. Yeah. You know, it's not just like a, oh, let's put yours on the table and then let's put mine on the table. It's like, oh, now I understand what yours is because I can see it and then I yeah. can take it into account when I'm thinking about stuff. Yeah. And your thinking becomes richer. Yeah. You know, more knowledge begets more knowledge. <laughs> in, in the sense <laughs> yeah. that, it, well, Georgia says it in our knowledge episode, spoiler alert, if we've not released that one yet or you <laughs> haven't heard it. But it's like, the more you know, the more questions you have. Yeah, exactly. So it's not about holding on to your identity mm-hmm. at the cost of acknowledging someone else's mm-hmm. it's about accepting that there's a lot going on yeah and that the more that you know the more that you'll need to know but then the better decisions we'll all be able to make together and that knowing more and learning more from other people isn't an attack on you no or, or and it doesn't mean that you lose anything yeah, or that something's exactly. being taken away from you yeah yeah that's extremely important and it's also worth noting what nushi said about the identity politics emerging from the idea that the system is failing people yeah so the very the very existence of identity politics it shows that the system is failing yeah it wouldn't have to exist if the system was functioning Yeah, exactly. Because there's identity politics and there's groups that are emerging that are trying to lobby for meaningful change. And then I would argue there's reactionary groups going, oh, these groups are lobbying for change and I don't like that. So now I'm going to lobby. And they, those secondary groups also, secondary groups, that's not from a hierarchical point of view. I'm just from a chronological point of view. (laughs) And I would argue, (laughs) we're getting into real opinionated territory here, but I would argue those are groups like men's rights groups that are going, oh, my rights are being threatened. They wouldn't be doing that if the identities of women weren't being threatened in the first place. And then they wouldn't have to emerge and go, oh, gosh, your existence is now threatening my existence in some way. You know, it's if the system was accounting for everybody to start with, then those chronologically first groups, women, et cetera, wouldn't need to lobby for anything. Yeah. Okay, that was quite a lot, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, this is going to be the longest episode in the world. If you guys haven't like made a cup of tea or got yourself some chocolate or an ice cream or like a big present, I advise you can go do that. Okay. <laughs> right. So we're going to go back to Nushi. So Nushi identifies why identity politics might be problematic, not because of the term itself, which I do feel like we've unpacked in some yeah. detail, but why identity politics itself might be problematic and unfortunately this actually also kind of comes down to that one lens argument that we were saying it's not useful to use albeit she's talking about it from a slightly different angle it's interesting because i think it feeds into this whole technological boom the fact that now we can choose what we see, we can choose how we think, everything is much more bespoke than it once was. And that's the same for politics. So identity politics in this sense means that things have become a lot more generalist. They have become about who we are and what we want as a group, which, 
you know, it's slightly dangerous because those groups themselves are fractured. You know, if we believe in intersectionality and all these things, it's almost the odds that we then think that one particular group based on its race must all want the same thing, right? I mean, the perfect example would be BLM, which then became defund the police. Now, a lot of people who support BLM don't believe in defunding the police. Mm. But even if they do, the question is, what does that mean? And so because these groups aren't necessarily organised by a political value system or any value system, all they're organised by is something that they represent without even meaning to represent it often, just because they've been born into that. It sort of makes things quite fuzzy. And you can see that almost on the flip side in the UK, for example. So I am half Asian. A lot of Asians will speak about Preeti Patel as though she represents, she's a spokeswoman for all Asians in the UK. And they will say things like, I can't believe she, you know, how can she be Asian? This is disgusting what she's saying. Like she's trying to turn us all away and things like this. And you're like, well, I'm sure all white people don't look at, didn't look at Theresa May or don't look at Boris Johnson and think, God, this man is giving the race a bad name. Ethnicity is a bad name. So because we've now come to this point where we do see ourselves by our ethnicities, for example, actually simplifies things in a way, simplifies really complex things, which actually detracts from conversations that maybe should be had. I loved that example that she just did. <laughs> yeah. It's just so, again, so simple, but so true. Like, of course, not all Asian people are going to like, identify with Priti Patel in the same way that we don't identify with Boris Johnson yeah. or Theresa May. Exactly. But interestingly, what she's saying is a lot of Asian people are doing that. Are being yeah. like, oh, Priti Patel's giving us a bad name. And they're but, generalizing. Yeah, but we don't do that as white people, no. I really think that tells us quite a lot just in and of itself as an example. Yeah. But the wider point that she's making is, is about the idea that identity politics is really simplifying stuff. It doesn't take into account an individual and you cannot put categorise people together, like box people up together no. based on superficial elements of their identities. No. You, you can't. It's like hashtag not all Asians hashtag not all anyone yeah <laughs> but it's, it's completely dismissing the complexities and nuances of being a human being I actually want to retract my hashtag statements because then I realised that the next logical thing for me to say would be hashtag not all men and that is super problematic super problematic we're not going to go down that road we today. can't we don't have time you guys <laughs> no time we don't have time to although, discuss that although I do want to say that okay it's not problematic because no, I am. I, I have to. I have to explain why it's not problematic because someone will need to hear this. Hashtag not all men is problematic because it is allowing for individuals who are male to, as they see it, not take responsibility for the actions of other people in their perceived group. Now, as Nishi is arguing here, Asians don't need to take responsibility for the actions of Pretty Patel. The crucial difference here is that Asians, as an identity group, are not oppressing any other identity groups in our society. Yeah. Men, as an identity group, are. That's the difference. It's about the effect 
that your group identity, not your individual identity, because as Nushi is arguing here, identity politics doesn't take in, doesn't properly in its current form, take into account individual differences within these superficial groups that we categorize people in. Yeah. So by saying that men behave in a certain way, no one is saying all men behave in this way. No. So focusing on that part of it is reductive in the same way that by saying a <laughs> this Asian woman behaves in this way, it is quite obvious that we don't mean all Asian women behave in this way. But again, I bring it back to the point that Asians as a group aren't oppressing other groups in society in general. Yeah. As a as general not as individuals in that group, as a general overall group based on specific elements of their group identity. Mm-hmm. Whereas specific elements of maleness and the way that we instill maleness in men in our society do oppress women. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense to me. Okay, great. Now we've covered that. Please email us questions. Yes. Hello, eggshells. Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's go a bit further with this idea of individuals within a group. Great. Because I do think it's really interesting. And I really think it's interesting, again, especially in the context of a disagreement. Because, okay, Han, here's a question. When you're in an argument or a disagreement or whatever, you're having a conversation about an aspect of identity politics, perhaps a particular identity group, perhaps um, women, and <laughs> someone says to you, oh, but my girlfriend isn't a feminist and she thinks the whole feminism thing is dumb. So therefore, what do you have to say to that? You know, has that kind of thing ever happened to you? Or like, oh, my friend is, my friend is black and he doesn't yeah. believe in defunding the police or, yeah. or a more UK-centric example maybe, oh, my friend is London-based and voted for Brexit. So, you know, you can't generalise. How many times has that been said to you? So many times. <laughs> Probably all three of those examples, not necessarily in those specific examples, but like in some kind of context to do with all of those different subjects. And of course, with the things I identify with, my reaction to those things is, hmm, well, you're wrong. (laughs) Cool. What do you mean? (laughs) Um, Because, uh, you know, for example, if someone was to say to me, well, my girlfriend doesn't identify as a feminist, I'd be like, Ah, interesting. <laughs> well, you'd be like, she's wrong. <laughs> she's wrong. <laughs> but that's... just on a personal level. Like, oh, like, okay, right, yeah. Because that, you know, I do identify as a feminist. And so when you meet women who maybe don't, it's a bit jarring for me personally. Sure. Yeah. But I think more importantly, given those examples, is that just because someone has turned around and been like oh well you can't generalize this because I have this person who doesn't identify as a feminist or this person you know they do live in London but they also vote for Brexit well that doesn't mean that feminism isn't a thing yes exactly or that the argument for feminism is is now null and void yeah because you found a woman who doesn't agree with it (laughs) it's exactly it this is what I find so funny about but it's also really useful because if someone says that to you in an argument if they're like oh but I have X person who who doesn't agree with you and and they belong in that identity group so you must be wrong mm-hmm. or whatever you can be like great 
that's great. They, you know, that's right. I, I believe what you're saying. Thanks yeah. for adding that layer of complexity to this argument. Because in all of these examples, we are categorizing people based on their superficial presentation yeah. of their identity mm-hmm. into groups that they don't have any responsibility to at all. No. And that is why, you know, when I first of all was saying I personally would react as a like, oh, that's wrong. I wouldn't then tell them that that person is wrong. Right. Because they are totally entitled to not identify as a feminist, as a feminist. Or a woman or as a I'm not going to be like, well, no, you're a bad woman now because you don't believe the same things as I do. Yeah. In this case, exactly. In this case, the conversation isn't about that person's girlfriend and whether or not no. they are whatever. It's understanding that we are doing the categorization. That yeah. You cannot make someone think or feel something that they don't think or feel, except <laughs> with excellent disagreement techniques, yes. which we're discussing in this podcast. So <laughs> you, can't, you can, but you have to do the work, okay? Yeah. And also that's really beside the point. The point is really that just because you look at someone and you think, oh, based on what I can see of you, you belong to this group, mm-hmm. and then you espouse views that I don't associate with this group, that somehow devalues this group in my eyes. Newsflash, that's all happening in your head. Yes. Based on your own personal categorization <laughs> of other human beings. That's nothing to do with them, and that's nothing to do with the group. Yeah. Yeah? Done. Right. <laughs> Glad we've got that out of the way then. Fantastic. <laughs> do you have any takeaways? Yeah, I think that in just in putting together this episode, I've got a much clearer understanding of all these different bits of identity politics, you know, mm. and I just feel much more able to talk coherently about this topic. I hope you enjoyed it. And I think we're going to go have a nap. Yeah. Sound like a person who spent some time, and correct me if I'm wrong, who's been, who spent some time thinking about yourself and your own values and where you sit on issues. And I'm wondering what you think knowledge of yourself brings to disagreement. That's such an interesting and complex question and like a minefield if you think about it. Because, <laughs> because you know. I think that when you ask that question, then you collide with two things. Who would I like to be? And who am I afraid that I actually am? This question that sometimes we ask actors, you know? And I think I'm really yeah. clear about who, who I'd like to be. And I spend a lifetime defending that and cultivating the values. This is a value I hold, you know? And this is another one that I hold. And I will defend it to the ground. But the other, of who am I afraid that I actually am, I think is another thing that if we're talking about listening, Listening to ourselves, connection to yourself is important if we're going to cultivate connection to others, connection to others, connection to others. That was Eggshells. If you liked that episode, then tune into others about how to disagree better by visiting our website or searching for us on your podcast provider. Please like this podcast, give it a five-star review and tell all your friends about it. Support for independent podcasts like ours is vital and we hugely appreciate it. If you fancy getting in touch, 
We're at helloeggshells at gmail.com. We love a chat. Eggshells is hosted by me, Lizzie Bourne, and Hannah Leach. Our sound designer is Andreas Petru, and our music is by Willard Hill and Andreas Petru. Big thank you to Bex Arthur and Marcella Terrable, as well as all the beautiful guests featured on today's podcast. See you soon.